1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always... Thanks for listening, thanks for the ratings and reviews, thanks for the emails, thanks for the tweets, the retweets, and all the things that are great about what you do. So, thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Mike Lingle, a tech entrepreneur and creator of Rocket Proforma, a tool to help entrepreneurs get a handle on their financial picture and help draw investors in. Mike has always been interested in linking engineering and design. Early on he started pursuing architecture but moved into learning to code to build 3D models. He developed presentation software for companies to use in sales. After 15 years, his company was acquired and he took a couple years off to pursue his interest in music, during which he met and married his wife and started a family. He figured out that music wasn't his future, so he returned to tech, mainly advising and teaching entrepreneurs. Mike reflects on his first experiences having a company when he realized After his partner left that the company wasn't financially stable, he realized he needed to better understand the numbers and now believes this skill is essential for a business and business owner to be able to make good decisions for your company. Rocket Proforma is a result of his desire to help entrepreneurs with their financial decision making. And while his customers usually come to him for a tool to help with presentations for potential investors, he hopes that it will help them in running their businesses as well. Now, Let's get better together. Mike Lingle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, thanks again for being on the show. It's so cool how we kind of met. I literally saw an ad for Rocket Proforma because I was looking for a financial model uh, For my new startup that I'm working on called the Story Funnel, and it alone, it just knew, it just knew that I needed to meet you and t- and and actually bought your spreadsheet, your Google Sheet, which by the way, pretty cool. Um, you know, I always am a very big fan of you know modeling and stuff, and I I really, really appreciated how you kind of broke it down and. And we're going to talk all about what you have over at Rocket Proforma, kind of, you know, all the all the ins and outs of the importance of planning for a startup. But before we get all into that, as I always like to say, tell us how you got to do, what you're doing today. Uh, first of all, I'm glad that Google
2: knew. Google was working that way, <laughs> right? It's a little scary. It's, like, it's a little scary. <laughs> it was probably listening through your phone to you talking as well. Oh, right? I know. Gosh. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And really, I, you know, my journey, uh, I started as a software developer, and I was pretty good at building stuff. And all of a sudden, I mean, not all of a sudden, it took a couple of years, but found myself with a functioning business and a room full of people hadn't raised any money. And I was, I I'd brought in a business partner, and the two of us were running the business, uh, which worked until it didn't. Right. And then I was face to face with the fact that I was just because I was good at software development didn't make me good at running the business. Um, and that led to uh, I'm old enough that this was I'm, this was uh, the dot com crash back in like 2000, 2001. Yes. Closely. Well, not closely, but like a year later, followed by the World Trade Center. And I was about you know our office was about 20 blocks from the World Trade Center. So it was just like it was just a dark time. Uh, it really affected the business. We didn't have a buffer. Um, it turned out, I didn't realize it at the time, but we were basically living hand to mouth. And I didn't understand the finan- the financials. Uh, and I ended up laying off some really good people because we ran out of cash. Um, even though we had what looked from the outside like a healthy business. We had contracts with Fortune 500 companies. Uh, they owed us money. Um, but all of a sudden they stopped paying and uh, it was really hard to sell new business. And, and the hand-to-mouth thing sort of fell apart, right? So I'm laying off these people and I'm thinking to myself, I really, you know, I'm going to stick with this business. And actually my business partner left and I was left with a bunch of debt and not a lot of staff, but good tech and great um, customers and rebuilt the whole thing. And in the process of rebuilding, it, I was like, I have to figure out the financials, right? Like good tech is not enough. Which is weird because even, you know, this was whatever, 20 years ago, right? Like even then we were told tech, tech, tech solves every problem. Oh, yeah. I, right? yeah,
1: I remember it I very yeah. fondly when you go to Sand Hill Road, you got your uh, 14 slides in your PowerPoint. It said internet in it. Here's a million bucks. Go for it. I, go for it. It's pretty right? easy. <laughs>
2: nope.
1: I'm being facetious, but
2: I mean, it was almost that easy. It was. Um. It was that easy and, or almost that easy. And I think what I learned was that tech, like if you're sitting in the VC seat, right? If you're the investor, tech solves all problems, right? If you're, um, you know, if you're in a city, tech solves a lot of problems for the city, right? Or the country or the world or whatever, But in in your own individual or in my this is my experience in my own individual company, tech did not solve all problems because we had good tech. What we didn't have was an understanding of our numbers, right? And so what really transformed my entrepreneurial journey was not figuring out more tech, but was figuring out the numbers. And in the process of rebuilding my shattered, almost bankrupt company, I taught myself the, the financials. I learned how to build a financial model. And in the process of mapping out my company, I learned how to drive the company, right? Like I understood what the levers were that I could pull. If things were going well, I could do more and scale the growth. And if things weren't going well, I could slow down. You know, I knew how to slow down quickly because I had this map in my head of how the money flowed through the organization. And that radically transformed the outcome. So during the rebirth, you know, I I taught myself the numbers piece brought in another business partner. We ended up raising uh, a $2 million Series A um, from uh, San Francisco VCs, right? Uh, and just had this amazing journey, right? And, and during that raise, like we used the financial model that I had built most of. Um, and then after we raised the money, and I got to say, there's nothing quite like the day when two million dollars drops into your bank account, right? No, I mean, few few days, yeah. <laughs> Maybe twenty million <laughs> dropping in the bank. Account. Right, right. I mean, how anyone, many millions it
1: is? Yeah, it looks anyone good gives the bank you a account. check, yeah, exactly. That's exactly. pretty. It's a pretty great day.
2: Um, it's also a scary day. I mean, it's it's not quite on the same level as having a baby. Like you do all this work, you have the baby, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing day. And then you got to raise the baby, right? Like, which is also amazing and an amazing journey, but you're just at the you're just at the beginning of the journey. It's not the end of the journey in any way, shape, or form. But man, did it take a lot of work to get there? Um and then we used the financial model that we had built to run the business. So now we've got two million bucks in the bank, and we're using the hiring plan that we mapped out. We're mapping against the traction that we estimated. You know, we were, we were wrong. It wasn't like the model was totally correct, but that was our navigational tool that we used, um, to drive the business forward. It wasn't like we had a secret plan in the back room that we weren't telling the investors. We actually, you know, used the plan to navigate the business, which was cool.
1: Yeah, no. Wow. I mean, it is interesting. Like I had a boss who used to say, you can't change a plan you don't have. Um, which of course (laughs) facetiously (laughs) as a startup, right. Well, I mean, as a startup, I mean, the plans change constantly. How, how can you not, you know, have bacon some thrash in it? I mean, you know, and, 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 and to your point about, you know, building a model, having a plan and seeing how you are towards the plan. I mean, it's a, it's a skill that's, you know, and they don't even really teach you this in school. If, even if you went to school for entrepreneurship, I mean, the minor stuff, but when it really comes to, like you said... $2 million hits the bank and they're like, you know, celebrate for a day. And then you're like, oh, great. Now what? <laughs> you know, they're, yeah. they're assuming that you have a plan to spend that money to grow. Like, correct. Because you need to get, in order to get to the next round, you need to, you know, you need to double the valuation. Like that's just, that's mm-hmm. the way the, that's the way the numbers work. So, wow. And so that business that you, you know, use your, your financial model skills, is that business still around or is it?
2: No, it got it got acquired. Um, I actually left. We brought in a CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, my co-founder and I were at each other's throats a lot around strategy. Like mm-hmm. my original business, we were building it on the back of this business that I had previously, which was enterprise facing. As I mentioned, we had like Fortune 500 clients. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, in this new iteration, we became consumer facing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I still had enterprise clients who I was trying to onboard. Like I had like Sony and HBO and NBC all like, great, when can we use this thing? And we had shifted to a consumer strategy and it was just leading to a lot of problems. Um, So we brought in a CEO who was a Salesforce exec who turned out to be awesome. Uh, I left uh, right as we were raising another $5 million round, again, with the financial model that I had uh, mostly put together. Um and the company ended up getting acquired a year later. Like the Salesforce guy turned out to be awesome, got us sold to VMware, uh, which was great. It was cool, it's really fun to watch.
1: Yeah. So it well, it's out. always yeah. I mean, an acquisition is always an interesting um process depending on who's the acquiring company. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's funny because uh it's depending on the attitude of the company they're usually want you to conform to the Borg, right? It's like assimilation into this collective. And you're like, well, what got us here is not going to get us there, you know? And, um, it is always interesting how that stuff works. And I'm just curious, you know, this, you know, helping other entrepreneurs out by providing these tools, which again, I've used this, um, and it's really cool to, to like see it come around and some of the assumptions and, You know, like anything. Since I do have an engineering degree as well, I I love you know nothing more than playing with numbers and seeing how stuff works. Right? It's fun, right? If you get over the
2: fear, if you get over the fear, you actually have a really good time just like messing around and seeing how big could this get. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's it's funny because when I excuse me, when I you know help other entrepreneurs, they're always really paranoid about this financial model. Yeah. And usually, like, hey, can you build a financial model for us? And I'm like. You know that's really not what I should do. You need to own this, and mm-hmm. the reason you need to own it is someone's going to ask you about it. And if someone asks you about it and you don't, you're like, "Oh, Jari built it." They'll be like, "Well, who's running this thing?" Right, right. <laughs> right? And and right. I and I like the fact how you made it less scary. So this is why I think this is so important. Um, you can build one from scratch, and I've done this. I've done this a bunch of times, and invariably there's errors. <laughs> you, know, you know, we it would, ends up being like software. There are bugs. Yep. There's always bugs, bugs, right? Yep. You know, we, we would build one and then, you know, we'd send it to these VCs, right? And of course, like this associate's entire job is to find the error in your spreadsheet, which is there. And yep. they know it because sure. they're like, all they do all day is spreadsheets. So yep. how did you approach this? You know, I know you, you have more than just the spreadsheet thing. Like there's some other things you're working on, which we'll talk to in a second, but how did you approach this? I mean, it's a pivotal piece of um, planning um, for, for a company. I mean, you know, how, how, what was the thought process? I mean, other than your own experience,
2: like you're like, okay, now I want to sell this to people. How how did that come about? So before I, before I answer that question, I do want to put a pin in one thing that you said, which I think is probably the most important thing that, either of us is going to say today is you mentioned that you have to change your behavior in order to, to change the trajectory of your business. So like that is the key, right. And that, that's part of my story is like, I almost went bankrupt and completely changed my behavior, taught myself a new skill and it radically transformed the way things turned out. And I just want to, I just want to point that out to anyone listening. Like you do have to radically change your behavior in order to radically change your circumstance.
1: Yeah, that's true. Good point. Yeah.
2: Uh, okay. So the answer to your question is, the company gets acquired. Um, I actually took a couple years off. I, I had always been sort of a hobbyist musician in the background. Okay. And so the company gets acquired, and and I didn't have a contract where I had to stick around. So I'm like a free man, right? So I'm like in my early 40s, not married, no kids, no house. I live in an apartment in New York City. And I'm like, I'm just going to do music for two years and see what happens if I do that full time. So I basically unplug from tech, uh, do the music thing for, it ended up being about two and a half years. And sure enough, three months into that, I meet my now wife. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. Date for 10 months. She's like, we're moving to Miami. I've got a job offer down there. I'm like, not attached to anything. So I'm like, all right, great. So we pick up, we move to Miami. Turned out to be a great move. She turned out to be awesome. We're now married. We have two kids. Uh, and then a year or two after we got down to Miami, I was like, okay, I need to sort of plug back in. So I plugged back into the tech scene and started working, um, like running accelerator programs, right? So now I'm trying to pass it on to the next generation. Right. So I'm talking to all these people about, you know, building businesses and scaling businesses. And I have my experience and then they asked me to start creating content to like teach people this stuff. So now it's cool because I like learned everything school of hard knocks, right? But now I'm learning like, okay, here's startup theory and modern startup theory, and here's so I had now have this layer of like theoretical best practice on top of actual like best on practice on the ground experience. <laughs> You're like, yeah. And I ended up at the same place. I ended up at the place where the numbers are the most important thing. And no one has solved this problem of like, how do you make the numbers easy for people who aren't numbers people? And I tripped over the same thing that you were talking about. Like I could build financial models. So people would hire me and pay me to build them a financial model. And, you know, the problem that you mentioned is a big one. They get in front of investors and they can't explain it, right? So then they, they can't raise the money the even bigger problem is they don't know how to run the business. Like whether they raise the money or don't raise the money, they don't know how to drive the the car. Right. Right. So the car is going to crash. Um, And so I just kept being, I just kept tripping over that over and over again. And that led to me taking a financial model that I had built and just kind of simplifying it. And then the key was the reason they were having me build the, Uh, the spreadsheets was because whenever a normal human looks at a spreadsheet, their brain melts, right?
1: Yeah. It can get pretty overwhelming.
2: right? So then the question is, okay. And if you're doing like a three-year model, you have 36 little boxes in a row, right? And no one, even I as a spreadsheet, like expert, I don't want to mess with 36 little boxes. So the key thing I did was I simplified the interface. So you have all that complexity, but you have a simple, Uh, interface, a little widget that's creating all that complexity for you in the back end. So all you're doing is entering pricing year one, pricing year two, pricing year three, sales year one, sales year two, sales year three. And on the back end, it's doing all the calculations, doing all the accounting and spitting out like a little dashboard pitch deck slide thing. Yeah. And so then I could hand it to someone and even if I did it, they knew how to change the price in year two, right? And they could go look and when someone asked, well, what are your assumptions? Well, the price in year two is X Y Z, and here are the sales in year two, right? So, that was the the transformational piece there. Yeah,
1: I mean, and also I think it's just the not having an error in it.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's harder. <laughs> that's harder. But
1: but what what's interesting is that yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I would spend countless countless hours, like not no joke, on trying to figure out. You know how this all ticked and tied together, um, because it's always you know the numbers matter. I mean, in business, we're all about numbers. Even if you don't like numbers, it's about numbers, right? Right. And just like it also helped tell the story, because you had to be credible. I think this was the thing that I, I realized. Yes. Anyone can put a hockey stick up on a graph. Yep. But. You know, when someone just asks you like two or three levels deep on the question and you're like no clue, I mean, red flag, right? I mean, everyone knows the numbers are kind of BS anyway, but what's the story you're telling with your numbers? And I think that's the reason why what you've built is so powerful because the scare, like you said, the scariness of like, ah, there's 36 different rows and I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to start. What's you know? What's net present value and what's future value? You're like, oh, your eyes. I mean, like, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm an electrical engineer, and I, my eyes roll in the back of my head. Right. That's right. And um, but it's, it's it's a very interesting thing. So how's 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 the success been? I mean, how? I mean, you were at accelerator. Are you still there? I mean, how how does it all kind so of? So I
2: I drop into accelerators now. I mean, I ran a couple different accelerator programs, built a ton of content. You can still find uh, versions of content up on the rocket performance site on YouTube. Um, you know, I'm always trying to explain what I've learned. I think I was reading somewhere, Richard Feynman, one of the guys who helped him about the atom bomb, uh, famous physicist. Yep. His rule was he hadn't learned something until he could explain it to someone else. And I think that's been my experience as well. And why I create the content that I do. Um, and really the last piece was when things really clicked for me was when COVID hit and I was sort of reading the headlines and I was looking at like, all these people are losing their jobs. Everyone's going to have to start a business or pivot a business. Yeah. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm going, I'm going full-time on Rocket Pro Like I need to get this thing out into the world, which frighteningly enough was almost two years ago now.
1: I know. Crazy. Um,
2: huh? Yeah. It's crazy. Remember when they said like, it's going to be two weeks, we're going to lock yeah. down for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well it's funny, like this podcast I started on March 16th, 2020.
2: Okay.
1: There's two important dates. That's two important things happened on that day. One, my mom was born. That's my mom's birthday.
2: Okay. The
1: second is Their San Francisco. Yeah. 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 Second is San Francisco got locked down that day. Wow. The literal day I released my first episode, it's like COVID, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean I think you see that in the great resignation as well. I mean, people especially like women getting out of the workforce, families suffering, you're seeing a lot more businesses start. You're seeing a little different model in this whole like gig economy, but not even really gig, but more like freelance solopreneur kind of thing, you know, Um, how does it, how does, how does what you do, like can you use your model for pretty much any kind of business or is it like specific to certain kinds?
2: Mostly, I tried to build it to be as flexible as possible cuz that was that was another problem I was trying to solve in the accelerators I was working in we had this wide range of different businesses and the the cash flow and the accounting are hugely different between a subscription business versus like a manufacturing or e-commerce business versus a transactions business
1: right
2: and then you can actually have stuff that's strung together so if you think about like the Ring doorbell right, right. you have a physical device Right. So I go to the Home Depot, I buy a physical device, I come home and I install it. And then they try to sell me a subscription. So the physical device has manufacturing and inventory and retail sales, but there's a second revenue model sitting on top of it. So the physical device is a gateway to the subscription, but only X percent of the buyers of the device sign up for the subscription, right? right? So, so I tried to build a model that could handle all of that. Right. So you can pick transactions, subscriptions, manufacturing. You can pick one of them. You can layer them. So one becomes a gateway to the other. And there's this flexibility. So it's almost like picking up Lego blocks, and you're just like, I want this Lego block, this Lego block. I'm going to stick them together. And then I'm, once you have that, right, you have the revenue models, you have the pricing, then you can flow sales into it. And that's really, you've done a lot of the work there. Like the expenses are much easier than the, the revenue and the oh yeah, the sales yeah, yeah. projections yeah.
1: <laughs> sales projections are just random magic. I mean, like, right, mm. it's random
2: magic, <laughs> and I built that. I have a random magic sales generator because people love that. Yeah. And then if you want to go deeper, you can do detailed like this is the direct sales, this is the Google Ads, this yeah. is the, yeah. you know, the the affiliates right. But the first lo- the first step is always the magic magic yeah. sales machine.
1: Yeah, yeah, the magic sales machine. Yeah, no, I mean it's fascinating because. um you know again like i've used it built i'm building the building my financial model for the story funnel stuff we're working on using using your your uh, your spreadsheet or your google sheet and i'm just you know it, it, it it's funny because you make some assumptions and you put the numbers in and you're like oh the growth's not there and then you put the growth put the number where it should be and you're like oh man this is going to explode but really like like year two I don't think I can keep up with the revenue and the expense. And, you know, like it, right. it, it's, it's the thought. I think the thing that's really fascinating and cool about this, it's the thought process that matters really more than the result, I think.
2: I, I completely agree. I mean, Which comes down to driving the business, right? right. The way right. you're going to be successful at the business is knowing how to press on the accelerator and how to press on the brake and how right. to steer. right? And that is what you're learning playing with the financial model. Right. Being able to pitch an investor and answer the questions three levels deep is a byproduct of spending some time playing with the numbers and entering the wrong numbers. Right. Like what happens if we grow 100 X versus what I'm thinking? What happens if we grow not nearly as quickly as I want? Right. Like. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've tried to in a in a weird way people come to Rocket Performa because they have an investor meeting and they're in a hurry. (laughs) But I try to slip in like, learn your numbers, right? You know? Yeah. Well, it's just funny because you're right. I mean,
1: a lot of the folk, yeah, that all come want to talk to me. I'm in all these like entrepreneur groups and stuff. It's like, oh, I got to do this financial model. Has anyone ever done it? Can you give me a spreadsheet? And you're like, well, sure. But you know how long this is going to take you to do. But this is not like, this is multiple afternoons thinking really hard right? right what do these numbers mean um and i also like the fact which is really nice i like the fact that you can just like screenshot the slide like every every single slide deck's got the financials right yours is just like just 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 take just a snapshot take a of <laughs> yeah. exactly that's it how Pretty many right. times have i like sat there trying to mess with something like that just Never works right. It looks like <laughs> crap. You know, it's just so cool. So, I mean, getting back to the, your your time as a musician, um, I mean, what what instrument did you play?
2: Uh, so, I played guitar growing up. I played a lot of instruments and never practiced. Hmm. Uh, actually, funny story. One of my music teachers in high school talked me into playing the French horn, which I didn't love and was not good at and did not practice. So, I'm in the orchestra. And our music teacher in high school actually brought his wife in, who was not at our high school, to be the first chair of French horn to cover for the fact that I was terrible at the French horn. (laughs) Uh, So I went through a bunch of instruments and then finally picked up a guitar and it was like transformational for me. Uh Um, And so I played guitar my whole life and then got very into, I guess, sort of late 20s, early 30s, got into music production. So I was in a band and we started recording our own songs and that led to um, we were in a band for a while, but then everyone got married and had kids Mm -hmm. and it became very hard to coordinate five people's schedules. Mm -hmm. So I started DJing because I could go, I just had my own schedule and I could go play live. Right. I got that live performance experience. Right. Right. Didn't have to schedule with anyone else. Right. Uh, And then I started getting deeper into the producing thing. So right about then my company got acquired. And I was like, I'm just going to set up a really badass home recording studio, DJ. Uh, I started working with singers, rappers, recording songs. Wow. Uh, it was super cool. It was an amazing couple of years. I learned that I am not capable of supporting myself as a professional musician. <laughs> uh, I know how to make a good song, but not a great song. Right. right. Um, oh. But it was like, it was super cool. And uh that's how I found my wife. I was DJing her friend's birthday party. Oh so cool. The music cool. the music was good to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I inter- I interviewed uh, Dan Emery over at New York City Guitar School. I don't know if you've ever heard of New York City Guitar. Oh, School. I
2: remember Dan Emery. I feel like he had ads all over New York.
1: Yeah. It was like, yeah. okay. It was guitar with like a like a rising sun sunburst kind of logo. Yeah, like I
2: will teach you guitar or something.
1: Yeah, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I had him on like Okay. Gosh. Oh, I don't even remember when it was a while ago, maybe what, and May of 2021. And okay. um, he had to pivot really hard during COVID because he yeah, he had, uh, he told me, he's like, we had like five locations in New York City, like physical locations. Oh, yeah. And overnight they're all like that. Yeah. Gone. Um, but then he'd moved a lot to virtual and stuff like that. And I'm always like, you know, I'm literally, as we're talking, I'm staring at this acoustic guitar that's against the wall, which I don't know how to play. It was, was my late wife, Jane's, which I still have. And, and and remember we're, we're talking and Dan's just like, well, anytime you want to learn guitar, I'm here and I can teach you over the internet.
0: Don't say that.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny because um, I I find that, you know, like the entrepreneurs that have like a varying degree of different kind of hobbies I guess would be the word or it's funny because like I like to write so you know everyone's like how can you write so much how you know oh I love to do it so you know as an entrepreneur you know our job is to communicate what we do and like you know writing books and stuff that I just love to do so to me it's like this is easy quote-unquote easy right which other people it's like music and stuff and I'm I'm curious like what 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 aspects of music helps in your entrepreneur journey or was it like a vice versa thing like did both kind of help help each other out because So my
2: answer to this question, uh, for me, and actually, let me go back in time a little bit. Mm -hmm. I actually originally wanted to be an architect, and I was super obsessed with architecture. And we had an architecture program in my high school, and I worked for a couple architects. And what I really liked about architecture was you have this layer of engineering, Mm -hmm. right? Like the building's got to stand up. Uh, Yes. But you also have this user experience piece, right? Like people have to be able to use the building and navigate the building and the buildings, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's got to be the right experience and the engineering. That combo has always like fascinated me, right? Then I realized that I was never going to do all of the work required for architecture and I was never going to make any money. And I actually had this moment like I'm working for this architect (laughs) and I'm making. 12 bucks an hour and i want 14 bucks an hour and he's like for 14 bucks an hour i can get in a licensed architect who's been practicing for 10 years and i'm like oh then i quit like, <laughs> i'm not gonna work for 10 years to make two more dollars an hour no matter how much i i Isn't love that it. crazy like yeah, he's, he's they've crazy. got a
1: lot of education the education yeah and then all the certification yeah
2: yeah, yeah. it's insane and uh and I didn't love it enough. You know what I mean? Like if I had, yeah. if I had loved it enough, I would have kept going. But I, I was kind of realizing like I wasn't consuming architecture in my spare time. Mm. Uh, I was just kind of going, working at this place and going home. But it had led me uh, to sort, actually, it led me to visually creating like 3D models and stuff. Okay. And I had a buddy of mine who was really into that, who was teaching me some stuff about that. And then he taught me some programming. Right. And I had, I had learned some programming as a kid from my dad. My dad was one of those dads who like always brought home computers and like, Uh I sort of had a background in computer programming that I had forgotten Mm -hmm. and it all just kind of came together. And suddenly I was like, it was relatively easy for me and I could do the design and I could do the engineering and I could build these experiences for people. Right. And so I started doing like custom coding, um, mostly for like corporate clients who were doing big product launches. So it was like big events and we were always pushing the edge with the technology. So like we were doing video off of laptops where like we had to hand code the video because the laptop <laughs> didn't have a video player. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. Of stuff for like Colgate or like I had kiosks running in the window of the Pfizer headquarters on 42nd street in Manhattan, or I built a kiosk that like toured with um, the Olympic torch for IBM which led to the Discovery Channel hiring me to build a presentation tool for them, and then presentations was what what my startups were. But it was always this combination of like design and engineering, and I think music is kind of the same thing, right? There's this engineering piece, like the song follows a structure and has to hang together, but people have to experience it, you know, and it's got to pull people in. And a lot of other tech people that I've talked to do music as well. Like it's just. I don't know. I think it's just part of the way my brain is wired. And yeah, interesting. I had always had like this split personality where like, I was always like mostly doing tech and spending nights at the office and sleeping there, but I was always doing music as much as I could. And there was something cathartic about finally at 43 years old, being able to take two years, do music full time, realized that it was not going to be the thing that I could do full-time moving forward and then go back to tech has allowed me to like relax it in a weird way it was it was almost like a sabbatical I think it was like a sabbatical it totally recharged me wow which was great and then I don't have that same like schizophrenic like I'm a coder I'm a musician I'm a coder I'm a musician like I'm just okay with what I am now
1: yeah well it's interesting that you like let me go try to see if I can do this. And then, oh yeah, yeah, no, this isn't going to (laughs) work. I better go back to what I'm, what I can get paid for, you know?
2: Yeah. Like I I guess it, it might've worked if I had just kept doing it. Oh sure. Yeah. You know, getting my company acquired took me 15 years. So if I put the 15 years in, I would probably be, you know, I could probably pull something off in the music business, but not in two.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's was funny what Dan was telling me about. So we were talking and I'm like, yeah, you know, Dan, I really love to learn how to play a guitar. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm staring at it. He's like, well, you know, this is the one thing I'm going to great piece of advice. You want to be in a band. He's like, learn how to play bass. And if you can sing, okay, you're worth your weight in gold. Yeah. That is a true story. You <laughs> know, I'm all, what do you mean? He's like, everyone needs a good bass player. They can sing backup. Yep. And no one wants to do it because it's the bass player. You know, it's like that there was this meme where it was like, the members of the band and it was like singer like five women around him you know guitarist three women around him you know drummer two women you know bassist nobody (laughs) or like one right like you know he's just the guy laying down the you know bait you know laying down the the (laughs) The groove the groove right which is always was always fascinating right i'm because when he was saying this i'm like wow really he's like yeah and then then i actually talk to someone that was in tech and is a bass player. <laughs> we were talking, and I'm like, "Hey, I noticed you got like three or four bases behind you." He's like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Is it true that you like pretty much good bass player that can sing backup, can be an in any band?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm in four bands. <laughs> Everyone wants me in their band." I'm yeah. like, "And how do you have time to be a tech?" Like he was a sale, uh, like a technical salesperson, right? No, it I mean, was just funny because. I mean, you find your groove and you find your niche. And I think what's interesting about entrepreneurship is being able to try it, right? Like, okay, does, you know, the, the, the beautiful thing is like, I love what you, to your point, you're like, tried architecture, you know what, thought it would be good, didn't like it. It wasn't something I was passionate about. It wasn't something I, you know, I could do it clearly. It's like, it's not, not, you know, you do the mechanics of it, but it didn't drive me, right? drive me and i think that's the one thing that a lot of entrepreneurs just really need to think about like i think that's one of the questions i always have people think about like if i really want to do this this is really a tough job and you know i i honestly you have to want to do a financial model right you have to want to do the things you don't want to do right honestly
2: you know interesting yeah so and the financial model will radically transform your outcome just P.S. Yeah, no, well, worth your time. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, well, of course. Yeah, I mean, and, and same with the pitch deck because I'm a, and you also, I think have a a, a program or a a model or, or some sort of product around pitch decks, which is another like the three, the three, the three, the golden three things, right? Financial model, pitch deck, executive summary. Those are the three things you need. You don't sure. really need a business plan. Business plans are kind of a joke, but those three things you need.
2: <laughs> that's a, that's accurate. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny because like all of my startups were presentation startups. Like even the stuff I was doing custom for big companies were presentations. And then I got hired by the discovery, well, actually a design firm that worked for the Discovery Channel uh, called Marcolina Design, who were awesome. They're still around, which is amazing. Um, But we did this thing for the Discovery Channel that it looked like television, but was editable like PowerPoint. And Discovery could sell the ads on the so when you turn on Discovery Channel and see the ads, they have a whole sales and marketing team that's like selling those ads, right? Um, and they wanted, you know, presentations that looked amazing but were super editable and that had like a networking feature so that if a number changed or a show was canceled or a show was added or new research came out, marketing could make that change in one place, push a button, and every salesperson's mm-hmm. laptop and presentations would update even retroactively. Wow. P.S. this was before the internet was a thing. Right? Yeah. So no web services, everyone's behind a firewall. Like we're on like corporate lands with CD-ROMs trying to like wow. update people's laptops, you know? And so the, this, this
1: presentation product was like a PowerPoint type of thing? It or? was
2: like, yeah, we were basically competing with PowerPoint and we sold it into all these giant <laughs> companies because PowerPoint wasn't, It didn't look good enough and it didn't have this networking feature. I mean, it sort of did through something called SharePoint, but no one knew how to make that work. It was, wow, SharePoint was horrible. So I ended up working with like a bunch of designers, right? And I ended up building a bunch of presentation tools and I got got Mm -hmm. very comfortable with narrative, right? Like how do we create these presentations in a way, again, that pulls a user through the experience so that they have the outcome that you want them to have and so when I started doing financials, I, I think I was just thinking in terms of narrative and story. And uh, and I hadn't realized that the numbers tell, told a story, right? Like that was the piece that was missing Yep. in my first iteration as, you know, super coder Mike. Yeah. But in my second iteration as super finance Mike, I was like, oh, the numbers tell a story. And this is where we're headed. And this is going to be the outcome. and. Right. You know, looking into the crystal ball in the future, this is what the numbers are telling us. And now we can start to navigate and run the business appropriately. Wow.
1: So you, you were building, you were building something that competed with
2: PowerPoint. And what it worked was it? What like was we it? got discovery to, I mean, we got like discovery Channel, Sony, NBC. What was the name of it? Uh, it was, so that iteration was called talk show. Cause we were uh, television. A lot of our customers were televisions and mag, television and magazines. Um, it was cool cause we did the discovery thing. And so the thing I learned about, uh, selling into giant companies, what you're really selling is a promotion, right? Whoever hires you should get promoted for hiring you. Oh, that's, that's the product. That's really? what you're selling when you're selling B2B. Huh? right? I never heard that before. That's a good one. So the guy who hired us, we launched this thing inside discovery into their sales and marketing team. So like, you know, billions in ad sales, the guy gets promoted immediately. And I was like, all right, this is a thing. We're going to every cable network we can find. So within a year we were in like CNN, TBS, TNT, sci-fi, USA, Fox, cartoon network. Like we just started knocking on doors and we were like, let us do this thing for you, you know?
1: And this was for the sales team to like pitch advertising. To pitch the, yeah,
2: to pitch the ads. And so what they would build, they would build a library of like 400 slides that covered all the shows and all the demographic research of who was watching these shows. But when you went and pitched an advertiser, you were only talking about like one or two slices of that, right? Like you were pitching soccer mom, you know, an advertiser who wanted to reach soccer moms or an advertiser who wanted to reach rich executives. Right. So only like, two shows would match the demographic so you wanted to have this library but then be able to pull and just assemble like a 12 15 slide deck and show that so we built that before the internet wow so that that's sort of like a dynamic slide deck creator yeah and then and then the thing that we took it that got funded was we moved it to the internet right mm-hmm. so and it was it was like full circle the guy who had taught me coding like reconnecting me with coding turned out to be my business partner in the second iteration where we went and raised a bunch of money and moved the whole presentation system to the internet. So we were we were using Amazon Web Services back in like two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. Built the beta of this thing, wow. raised the money in the end of two thousand eight. Like oh, in
1: two thousand eight, that was tough.
2: Yeah, no, it was it was really tough, right? That's, like, that
1: was the, the yeah. that was the meltdown of the the housing meltdown. The,
2: Credit yeah, like in the middle of that, unlike on on like Christmas Eve, I'm like faxing signed documents to the VCs. Yeah, I just remember being in the hotel room, like going down to the business center to like fax stuff. Yeah. Um, but we got the deal done right before the end of the year and raised the money, and we were off to the races. Wow, does something like that still exist? I mean, so is- so so it ended up getting bought by VMware, who for a moment. Their, their thesis was everything's going to the cloud. True. We are a business facing entity. The two places that business people spend their time are email and presentations. So we're going to buy a cloud-based email tool a cloud-based presentation tool. Yeah. Enter SlideRocket, which is what we were called at that time. Uh, they acquired us and they acquired this other email tool. And then like the it lived inside VMware for like a year, and then they were like, this isn't our strategy anymore. So they sold it to a former competitor who basically mothballed it, which sucks because it's still the best presentation software I've used. Mm. Uh, There are some things that are starting to come close, but it was, I mean, it was literally like 10, 12 years ahead of its time. Wow. It was cool. You could do a lot with it. It was amazing.
1: And so thus slide rocket turns into rocket (laughs) for,
2: I like rockets. What can I say? <laughs> pro forma. I can't even right. talk today. Rocket Pro forma. Rocket Pro forma.
1: Cool. Wow. And then you're also, you, you do have a slide.
2: Is it a, would it be a product, a template? I don't really have a product. I just, I talk a lot about pitch decks because of my presentation background. Yeah. And then sometimes I get super involved helping startups with their pitch decks. Yeah. Yeah. Although it takes a lot out of me. It's like a weird experience because I have really? to really. Yeah, in order to get the narrative right, like I have to ingest everything I possibly can about the startup. Uh And then I have to simplify it. So it's like, it has to go through this filter inside my head, because really you're trying to get to between 12 and 18 slides, let's call it. Yeah. And you don't actually want a lot of text on those slides because really you want it to be a, a platform for you to connect with the investors. So you have to like ingest, like I have to ingest everything prioritize it figure out where the strengths are use those as tent poles tie the narrative between the tent poles and then get rid of all the extraneous text and it it's i don't know just i can only do like one or two at a time it takes a lot out of me but they it's fun i like it i never but thought th- of it that way yeah
1: the way you bring it up. I mean, I know, I mean, I do the story funnel thing I'm working on. It's all about narrative and storytelling and the through yeah. line and like what what's what are we what are we trying to get across? And we got to make it simple, clear, concise, compelling, and all the you know, all the buzzword bingo stuff. But I never thought right. from a slide deck perspective, this whole I like that whole like ingest everything and then simplify to tell the story, the narrative, like it has to flow. I mean, I know it
2: has that, to flow, Yeah. Right.
1: I mean. I've seen so many slide decks, which they're they're just awful. <laughs> oh, right. You know,
2: because they don't. Gotta... Yeah. Go no, go ahead. No, they don't. But I was just going to say, because they don't, it's not, it's kind of like if someone else designed your financial model and you can't talk about it. Right. Like you have to get the order right. So I can, I can take your information and give you back slides and give you the narrative I think will work. But at the end of the day, it's like it's your... Story, right? Yeah, and you have to point. you have to like road test it and move it around a bit in order for you to get comfortable with it. Yeah, so there's like I, a little back and forth. Yeah,
1: I think you need to own it. Like as you the entrepreneur, there. you have yeah. to own you have to own your story, and you owning your story includes your numbers and your pitch deck.
2: Yeah, and you got to like you got to be you got to be able to present without the slides too. You got to yeah. be able to. Just I don't think through. there's
1: any shortcut. I mean. Granted, like temp, so, the, the my whole philosophy on this is like okay, well, stories have structure, things have structure, right? Like, right, pretty much hands down, hero's journey, Aristotle, three act structure, you know, right, right, right. So you learn that. So you learn that how to scaffold it, so that you don't have to worry about hey, I need a financial, I need this, I need that, right? But that's maybe eighty percent gets you there. The other twenty percent, seventy, maybe thirty to thirty percent. Is the thing you put on top of it that you own. Like you own that stuff and no one else knows it better than the founder.
2: Yeah. 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 I hadn't thought about that. I like that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and then I think it's true. I mean, you've probably just inherently and intuitively know that. I mean, like the structure, like you said, you mentioned structure of music, right? Yeah. yeah. There's there's design and engineering, right? And I always think for like storytelling, financial models, pitch decks, I mean, even, even software, right? There's the engineering, right? There's the scaffolding. There's the underlying framework and structure. 70 to 80% of the thing is like, you know, we have a login button. I mean, that stuff, right, whatever, right? It's it's the creativity on top of that that's the most important. It's actually asymmetrical to the amount of what it is. I think same with music, right? I mean, music has got the structure. It's this, but how you put it together, the arrangement, the, you know, it's funny because like when, when people will, um, you know, they'll interview me to like, want to help them. Right. And they're like, well, you know, we need, we need web designers and we need people to write content and copy. And I said, well, you know how a song's got music and lyrics. And they're like, yeah. And I go, I'm the lyrics. I'm not the music. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I can, I can tell you visually what things should look like. You don't want me to do that. You want me to write the lyrics. You like, want me to write the lyrics, yeah. Right? Get someone else that knows how to write the music, right? Yes. And I think it's the same thing with what you're doing. I, that's why I think it's so powerful. It's like, get get away. Let me, how do I put this? Get, so there's structure to it. Don't worry about the structure. Worry about your part of it, which is the numbers that you own, the creativity in that. Understanding that, get, get the like, you know, get away from the 36 column spreadsheet that's going to freak you out, right? Yeah, yeah, so you want
2: to yeah. yeah. show the tip of the iceberg. Right, exactly. And if exactly. someone's going to invest, you're going to have more conversations. You have all the time in the world to tell them all the details, but not in that first interaction, right? No. no. And I, I think there's also an inherent conflict. Like I, as an entrepreneur, as a builder, I want to talk about what I'm building right here's the problem here's the solution here's why it's really cool what i'm doing people are having this great experience right putting on my investor hat i want to know who's the team what's the traction what is the customer acquisition reality right which and the what we're building is like a is like a secondary ingredient into those three main things that i care about so that's also like you want to structure your deck in a way that investors respond to, not in the way that we as builders instinctively think we want to tell the story.
1: That's so true. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's what a great piece of advice, and actually, what a great what a great place to end. So, yeah, Mike, there you go. appreciate like again, Rocket Proforma. I've used it. Great tool, um, great model. Love, love what you're doing. So wonderful to get to know you a little bit more and hear the hear the history of it all. And uh, yeah, stay safe. Good luck with everything, and uh, yeah, we'll be in touch. <laughs>
2: uh, thanks. This has been great. Thanks
1: so much, Mike, for all of your great uh, insights into entrepreneurship and, of course, financial modeling. Now, as promised. Here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Mike. You have to radically change your behavior in order to radically change your circumstance, Mike says, noting that he had to learn a new skill in order to be able to get a hold of the finances of his business. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes if you want to see some change, you got to like rethink how you're doing that, uh, especially depending on where you're down, like down a path that you think you can't get out of. So always ask yourself, You know, what new skill do I need in order to get to the next level? How should I change my attitude? How should I think about this? You know, what will happen if is always a good question to ask. So think about those questions as you uh, kind of see how your new venture is shaping up. Putting together a financial plan is important to set up and draw investment into your business, but it's also vital so that you can run your business effectively. Sorry. Mike says having his plan gave him a map in his head to follow for making decisions for his business. Yeah, I mean, in the startup world, if you're especially if you're going to go after some venture capital money, the three things, the trifecta of what they're going to ask for first, at least first, is going to be your pitch deck or your, your, your slides, your financial model, and your executive summary. Not necessarily in that order, um, but you got to realize that that financial model is sort of your thought process as to how you're going to go about scaling your business. So, it could be radically wrong, but the thought process matters. So, ask yourself a couple of questions when you start building your model, you start building these things in your head, you know, what are the assumptions I'm making? Will is this an optimistic or a pessimistic model? What are the ranges I should expect? They're going to ask you that. There's no doubt, right? Because the other thing that's, that's absolutely 100% true is that um, the associates that are looking at your financial model will definitely find a, an error. <laughs> they, they do this all day, so that's why having something like Rocket Pro Forma will help you out. Own your story and use the numbers to tell the story. While you can get help and outsource tools, ultimately you have to have a clear vision of your story and be able to tell it effectively that includes your numbers. You cannot outsource the numbers. You have to know that stuff cold because they will ask you. Now, doesn't mean you can't have someone help you with it, but boy, if you're nervous about this, get unnervous because they will rip you apart. If you need any kind of investment, they're going to go through the numbers. They're going to ask you all sorts of questions. And if you don't know that cold, You just don't know your business. The numbers are the most important thing. All the other plans, marketing, tech, and all that sort of stuff, yeah, whatever, that stuff changes. Numbers change too, but having a solid financial model is a really good way to start. So there you have it, the actionable insights and great knowledge that I learned from my interview with Mike. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits